Welcome to the start of the Christmas season here on Brit David Podcast. We are glad that you have chosen to join us as Pastor Tim shares a message from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, entitled, The Motivation for Salvation. With Thanksgiving barely in the rearview mirror, we turn our attention to Christmas. Decorations are up, the number of shopping days is down, and the Christmas spirit is all around. We do want to make sure that we are focused on the reason for the season. And so, we turn our attention to the prophecies of the coming Messiah. Today, we look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and the motivation for salvation. Here's Pastor Tim. Take your Bible. Turn with me today to Isaiah chapter number 1. For this Christmas season, we're going to be looking at several of the prophecies of the prophet Isaiah as he prepared for the coming of Messiah. We talk sometimes about the reason for the season, the reason for the season being Jesus, but it goes beyond that, doesn't it? The reason for the season is Jesus coming and dying for our sins, that we might be made right with him. It's the motivation for salvation is really what we begin talking about. And as Isaiah opens his book of prophecy, which is so long and it gathers in so much uh, time and information in the things that he has to say. You would expect him as a prophet with some of the harsh things that he does have to say to begin with that, to begin with woe is you, to begin with judgment is coming, to begin with those kinds of words, but that's not where he begins at all. In chapter number one of Isaiah's prophecy, you find one of the greatest invitations to salvation that you'll find anywhere in all of the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament alike. You find in there, in verse number 18, a great invitation that comes from God that says simply this, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It's a beautiful passage, a beautiful invitation that comes from God to us as his people. They come specifically to that nation of Israel. There are a number of things that I want you to see in here, but primarily about who God is and about what God has done for us as we approach this Christmas season. Number one, I want you to see today that God's offer is gracious. God's offer is gracious. It is an offer. It is an invitation. It's an invitation to you. He says, come now and let us reason together. Come now. He invites you into his presence. You, even as a sinful person, to come and stand before a holy God that he would take the initiative to make things right between you two. In fact, throughout the Bible, God continues to offer such invitations. It seems as if his offer to come to him goes from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. You're going to find God saying in this very same book in Isaiah, All of you who are thirsty, come to me and drink. You'll hear Jesus saying, come to me. All you who are weary 
and who are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to the wedding feast. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Eleven times in the Gospels, Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says that they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they send it into heaven in a cloud. It reminds us of that time that Jesus is going to be coming for his church. And in an instant, we'll say, come up here. And we'll leave this place and be gathered together with him. The whole of the Bible seems to be an invitation by God to us. In fact, he will finish this incredible book by saying, The Spirit says, come. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let everybody who thirsts, come. The question is, are you thirsty? Not are you needy. We all know that you have need. Not are you a sinner. We already know that we are sinners. Not do you need a Savior. Every person in this room needs a Savior. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Do you have a desire to partake of the offer that God is giving to you? Do you have a desire to be made right with Him? Do you have a desire to be clean? The offer that He makes is to everybody. I know that there's a there are discrepancies in what we believe, even we as Baptists. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. I believe He invites anyone who wants to, to come to Him for salvation. Do you want to? Do you want to be saved? Do you want His forgiveness? His offer is gracious. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to invite you. You know, one of the clouds that hangs over our holidays, be it Thanksgiving or be it Christmas, is the cloud of obligation. Sometimes we do things simply out of obligation. We buy gifts sometimes solely out of obligation. We invite people. We invite our family. Sometimes solely out of obligation. God is not obligated to you. He's not obligated to offer you salvation. He's not obligated to to invite you into his family. He is not obligated to give you good gifts. The offer that he makes to you, the invitation that he makes to you, come now and let us reason together. 
is an offer that is made simply out of his own gracious nature. He is gracious, isn't he? He was gracious to Adam and Eve. He could have simply, he said, the the soul that sins will die. The day that you eat this fruit, you will surely die. And certainly they died spiritually and began to die physically. Why didn't he just start over? I mean... If if Adam and Eve messed up so much, and they're the only ones that are here, why not just take them off the board? Let's take them off and and just restart. That's what we do in video games, right? We love to see all of those lives that pile up up in the corner of the screen. Because we know that if we fail and if we mess up, it's okay. We just get to start over. Why doesn't he just start over? Because he loves Adam and Eve. He loves the children that are going to be born to them. He loves the children that are going to be born to them. And then to them... And to them, and to them. And so God does something in the garden that had never been done before. He ended a physical life. He took the lives of those animals. I believe they were sheep. Made for Adam and Eve clothes. Of those animal skins. It was one of the very first reminders to them. Or first uh, announcements to them. That he would take the initiative. And that he would save them. He graciously. Offers them clothing. When he's had enough. Enough is enough. And decides this world is not going to get better. And decides to flood the whole thing. Why save eight? Again, why not just start over? I mean, for Adam and Eve, all, all, all he's really losing are two people. But the flood, there's... There's likely more than a million people that live on the earth. Still, why not just start over? Because he loves the millions. And the children of the millions. And the children of the millions after that. He's gracious to Adam and Eve. He's gracious to Noah and his family for the very same reason that he's gracious to you. Closing in pretty quickly on 10 billion people on this planet. Why didn't he just take you off the board? 
why didn't he just take you out? I mean, there's some of you that already feel like you wouldn't be missed anyway. Maybe he could just start over. If you remember, Bill Cosby threatened his kids <laughs> and told them, don't, don't test me because I'll make another one look just like you. <laughs> he could just make another one look just like you. Why doesn't he wipe you off the face of this earth? Because he loves you. He's not obligated to you. He's gracious to you out of his own love. And so through his prophet, he makes this offer, makes this invitation in a way that is almost begging you. Come now. Come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Even though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God's offer is gracious, despite, number two, that our offense is great. If you were to invite somebody to your house, maybe you invite them over for Thanksgiving, maybe you invite them over for Christmas, and it's not just one of those obligations. You really want them to come. You want them to come to your house. You want them to eat with you. You want to share some time with them. And it's not the regular excuses that they give. What, what if this time they're simply up front with you and they tell you, I don't want to come to your house. <laughs> I mean, I just don't want to come. I don't like coming over there. You don't have rice and peanut butter. <laughs> I mean, you don't have what I want. You don't have, uh, you know, I, I don't want to spend any time with you. I don't, I don't enjoy that. I just want to stay home. Would you invite them back again? Probably not, would you? I mean, just to be honest, probably not. And yet our offense before God is so great. Our offense before Him is more than hurting His feelings. Our offense before Him is worse than simple, brutal honesty. Our offense toward Him is great. I want you to consider with me the context that you find verse number 18 in. Let's go back to the beginning, almost to the very beginning of this prophecy. We'll skip the introduction, but go simply to verse number 2. Notice what God says to them. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Here it comes. I have nourished and brought up children. 
He's not talking about the heathen, is he? He's not talking about those outside of relationship with him. He's talking to people within his own chosen family. I've nourished them like children. And they have rebelled against me. If you have your, a pencil and you like writing your Bible, maybe you want to underline or circle the word rebelled. The ox knows its owner. The donkey, its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider or understand. Maybe you circle or underline, does not know, does not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Your pencil is about to become a nub. Your pen is about to run out of ink. If you're still circling or underlining. Because here you would want to underline things like sinful, laden with iniquity, evildoers, corruptors, forsaken, provoked, and turned away. He's got another question for you. Look at verse 5. Why should you be stricken again? What's he talking about? He's talking about the consequences of your own sinfulness. Continually throughout the Bible, he has continued to tell them, if you will follow me, if you will trust me, then these things will happen. If you choose to rebel against me, then know that these consequences are coming. There are consequences to your sinfulness. Why will you be stricken again? Why will you suffer the consequences again as you revolt more and more and more, he says. The whole head is sick. We don't think right. The whole heart faints. We don't feel right. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. That is to whom God says, come now. And let us reason together. It's these kinds of people. It's these that you have marked. It's these who from the sole of their foot to the top of their head. 
are thoroughly guilty. He's talking to people just like this. Just like this. Just like this. To one who will not even consider. He says, come now and let us reason together. You ever try to reason with a two-year-old? <laughs> They're called terrible twos for a reason. Bad part is the terrible twos turn into the terrible threes that turn into a terrible adulthood. <laughs> and sometimes we just don't understand. There's some things that you need to know. Some things that you need to know from the scriptures, some things that you need to know before saying yes to his invitation, to his offer. Number one, you need to know the reality of sin. Sin is a reality. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In all the years that I've been doing this, I've never once had to try to convince somebody that they're a sinner. Never once. We just know, don't we? Know the reality of sin. Number two, know the reason for sin. Yes, Adam brought sin into this world. Yes, he brought a sin nature. Yes, I suffer with that sin nature. Yes, I act on that sin nature. The Bible says that I am drawn away by my own desires, my own lusts. It's me. It's me. I am the issue. I am the problem. I, I cannot simply say, you know, the devil made me do it. I can't blame it on my upbringing. I can't blame it on my environment. The reason for my sin is me. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BritDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.